Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome to the debut edition of the ONG Strike Zone. My name is Brian Fulford, and I am joined by fellow Rattlers, Kelvin Rozier and Kofi Hemingway. And we are bringing a show that we hope will shine a beautiful light on the great athletic programs at Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University, better known as FAMU, and also the sports and culture and, and just everything surrounding FAMU athletics. And that is why this show exists. We are part of the BCSN podcast network and our host of shows. You may have seen me, of course, on the BCSN Sports Wrap, but uh, the new voices that you see from Kelvin and Kofi will be a part of this show. And, and, and as the upcoming season uh, approaches, I'm sure you will see them on other shows as well. So, we're going to go around the horn and kind of introduce ourselves. I'll come in last because you probably have heard me. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but I'll turn it over and I'll let Kelvin and then Kofi introduce themselves, their background, how they came to FAMU, and then I'll kind of come in and last behind them. So I'll go over first, Kelvin Rozier. Kelvin, how you doing, my man? I'm good, man, and I appreciate the opportunity to be a part of this and the invite. You know, my comfort level generally is, in the background, but uh, we'll see how this goes. I'm known as Mr. Orange and Green. I've known, I've been known to wear orange and green head to toe. Um, a whole week, never the same outfit. Beautiful outfit, uh, by the way. If you haven't seen them, I'm sure we're gonna be flashing those up during the course of the show. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. So um, I'm, I'm a local. Uh, went to Family High, and. Uh, Graduated from FAMU in 98 and uh, been active with the Alumni Association and boosters and so forth and and uh, active with supporting FAMU athletics for a long time. Love it. Uh, we've had these kind of discussions that we're going to have today um, at different activities and events and on the phone and social media and message boards. So uh, it's time I thank the world here hear what we have to share in our passion. And again, thank you. Well said, well said. Kofi, how you doing, my friend? What do you got? I'm doing great, man. I have been a Rattler, excuse me. <clears throat> I've been a Rattler since 1972 uh, when we moved from Columbia, South Carolina. My parents taught at Benedict 
um, university and uh, they matriculated and moved down to Tallahassee and I've been a Rattler ever since. Um, I want to say that I've been to um, the football games since 1972 uh, when Bragg Stadium's parking lot was gravel. <laughs> it was rocks in the parking lot and Bragg Stadium was green. So I remember those days and I'm anxious to see the glory days return. I'm anxious to talk about stuff. I've known Kelvin since kindergarten. Uh, we both attended Family High. I also attended Florida Agriculture and Mechanical University. But we have literally been talking about family athletics since at least 1982. <laughs> uh, those, had, those had to be some killer kindergarten sessions. There. You have no idea. You like, have no I, idea. You, you, you know, after, no after you saying that, you know, at some point we will be getting into discussions at later point throughout the year uh, on, on subjects uh, – that were covered there at FAMU High, maybe even giving shout outs to uh, various people. So I, you know, look, the, the interesting thing is I feel like the, the out of towners, I always do. I'm, I'm just a kid from Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, grew up in the mean suburbs of uh, Warren Township, uh, you know, and I found my way to Florida A&M thanks to the Circle City Classic. Uh, you know, my parents are HBCU grads from Norfolk State. And it was uh, Florida A&M's visit. I believe it would have been 1987, the third 86. year. 86, thank you. I know it was the third year. That's right, because 84 and 85 were the, um, were the Mississippi Valley State Grambling years. It was the 86th year. I was probably just a sixth grader, just beginning to get into the band and all of that stuff. And I just remember my father always telling me these stories about Brian, you got to see the Florida A&M Marching 100. When you see what they do, when you just listen to the sound, and I, you know, okay, like, okay, Dad, looking for, and it blew my mind, blew my mind, and so from that point, I fell in love with the hundred, fell in love with playing music, and fell in love with Florida A&M as the years would grow into high school, and I was fortunate enough to uh, be accepted and uh, travel all the way from Indianapolis to Florida, Tallahassee. And really never came back except to visit parents and a few friends. I stayed in Florida. So, um, yeah, I'm not, just an, I'm an SBI graduate, finished in 98. Uh, did a little work with a show called Snake Eyes, produced by a couple of great ladies, uh, Kelsey Scott, Nicole Collier, worked with some great people. Had a chance to work with Will Packer. The, the, the great Will Packer, you know, back when, uh, before he blew up and became, uh, you know, everything that he's become. So uh, it, it was a good time, great experience. And I think we all, uh, the one thing we all definitely have a shared passion for is athletics, because at some point we've all found our way into working with the athletic department in various ways. Uh, so why don't we kind of talk about that? I, I know for me personally, it was uh, being an intern or sort of just kind of hanging around the athletic offices where uh, Dexter Martin was a uh, over uh, marketing at that time. Alvin Hollins was the sports information director. And that's kind of when I knew, you know, watching how those two men worked and uh, their professionalism and just seeing everything that they did. I just tried to soak that up. And so, um, and that was my first introduction to FAMU athletics at, at that time. So uh, how, how about you guys? What, what was your role or anything that you 
uh, want to share as it relates to working with FAMU Athletics? I'll go first because Kelvin, uh, well, for me, my father was um, the faculty representative for athletics. And so all of the coaches, anytime a coach was hired, he was on those committees. And so having a front row seat to the procedures and who was going to, who was applying for the job, who was coming after the job, who we should get, who we weren't getting, why we weren't getting them. All of that was a part of, um, you know, my growing up hearing all of the juicy details and that sort of thing. But then also, um, you know, uh, having conversations with Alvin Hollins coming up, growing up, meeting him, fellowshipping with him, having long talks, um, and then also going to the football games and actually participating on that, you know, Dexter Martin's team um, with the marketing team. Herb Reinhardt was actually uh, my coach at the National Youth Sports Program, which used to take place in the summertime. Herb Reinhardt is now the um, athletics director at Valdosta State University. Mm -hmm. So I've had a, a long history with family athletics, and I actually had an opportunity to also serve as the voice of Bragg for a couple of years. Yes, nice. Yeah, very, very good. I, I, I think I got a chance to meet uh, Herb at Valdosta State uh, that year when uh, Valdosta hosted and they were playing Bowie State. And uh, that was the year they actually ended up winning. That was just a couple of years ago. So that was, uh, uh, got a chance to meet him. So uh, interesting to see how all that ties in. Kelvin, <laughs> you? Yeah. Uh, uh, you I, I uh, grew up watching uh, all FAMU games. Um, most of my coaches in um, high school were FAMU grads. And when I graduated and then came back from the military in college, uh, me and a bunch of FAMU students helped coach at FAMU High School with Coach Jacobs for many years. And we had a couple of very talented uh, teams there and some guys who actually, who many went to Power Five schools. Some even, you know, played in the pros. And from there, during the 90s and so forth, uh, when Coach Joe was there, uh, it was a bunch of young, very young students and alumni that wanted to support the program and, and give directly to the program. So uh, the concept of the QB Club was started, and and um, I was one of the original officers of that, and we uh, were able to get the blessing from the university and create some activities and some opportunities to, to support family athletics directly. And then I worked at the university for several years um, in many capacities. And it always seemed, it seemed to end up that uh, I was assisting with uh, a lot of the events and the facility side of things. And then I spent a couple of years also working directly with athletics uh, with uh, field, the baseball scoreboard, and some of those things, and and um, enjoyed my time with uh, the basketball and baseball program as administrator for those two sports. Nice, nice. Uh, so you know, one of the things, fellas, I, I think that uh, <clears throat> when you when you do a 
when you put something like this together, and, and what we're hoping to, to do is to continue to shine uh, a light on the, the great people, student athletes as well, administrators, coaches that make up Florida A&M University Athletics and the great athletic programs. Um, it's, a, it's a great time, of course, with FAMU moving from the MEAC to the SWAC. Um, and, and I think it's a great timing for, for this show and for, for us. And so <clears throat> I hope that uh, anything that people hear from us understand that it comes from a place of love. I mean, we, we are alums. Now let's get it. Let's get it. You know, let's make sure we understand that. And so if ever, you know, there's a time when somebody feels like we got it wrong. Hey, we want to know, let us know, reach out, uh, you know, and, and look, if it's a matter of coming on the show or if we need to, 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 to debate it, talk about it, maybe we get something wrong. We got to retract something. There's no shame in that, you know, I mean, but we're going to give you our opinions and we just want to engage the population and just give some different perspectives because there is more to Florida A&M University than football. I know football is going to, it's a natural in most college athletic programs, but I think we've got a lot of programs that are doing some great things. And I was reminded of that when I was going through and looking at some of our history in the MEAC. And so you know, we'll, we'll get to talking about that here coming up a little bit later. Uh, so again, uh, that's what the ONG strike zone is, is here for. Of course, the O and G, if you know, you know. I mean, I shouldn't have to spell that out for you. You know, I, I gave somebody else that name because um, we tossed around a few different names, guys, right? And I, I gave somebody that name and instantly they were like, oh, that's dope. I like that, you know, and I, I didn't have to explain. He just kind of knew what it was. So, um, you know, that uh, I don't know which one of you guys owns credit for coming up that. I don't remember. It wasn't me. So I'll admit that it was either it was either Kofi or Kelvin. One of you two guys came up with that. And and, and so maybe it was a combination of both of you. But uh, I, I love it. And it sounds it sounds great. Let's do this. Segment one, we talked about. Obviously, we're coming out of the 2019, I keep saying 2019 because it feels like it was the last time we played any activities, really. But the 2020-21 school year, challenging year, no doubt, for every coach and athlete. At some point, if you played a season, you probably didn't get through it all the way because of COVID. Uh, you know, there were, there were cancellations, there were postponements. Um, sadly, there were seasons canceled, uh, you know, but all wasn't bad, you know. So I thought what we would do is kind of talk about maybe just the best and worst of the past year. And I mean, obviously, there may be something on the field or on the court, but obviously it may just be a general topic kind of thing. So I thought we'd just kind of go around the horn and shoot out if you can think of maybe, you know, look, you don't have to get too detailed or you, you can be general, however you want to be, guys. Best and worst from the past school year. Obviously, 2020, 2021, or, or maybe even if you want to dig into the end of the previous school year, because obviously we know that got interrupted. Um, let's just go. Let's just go and uh, let's see what we come up with 
best and worst from the previous year before we even start talking about what's coming down the road. Kelvin, best and worst from last year. So I'll start with the worst, and COVID-19 has to be the worst. It had a tremendous impact throughout the landscape of athletics, uh, pro and collegiate. And, of course, with our program, was no different. Um, the first thing that comes to mind was the impact it had on the kids and, and their eligibility, the seniors. Um, it impacted their season. You know, they, they worked hard. They were looking forward to participating. And uh, when it first got shut down, I believe uh, it was right before the basketball tournament, NCAA. And so, you know, uh, from there, all pretty much all sports programs for the, that season uh, was interrupted. Now, the NCAA did try to remedy that, remedy that by uh, coming up with a waiver so that those kids didn't get penalized there, get another year to come back. But that created other problems for athletic departments. Uh, it kind of threw off the recruiting cycle and the normal number of scholarships, which has a financial impact. Um, also, it took away some revenue streams in terms of it, um, the amount of money from the media agreement. And then, of course, most athletic programs at our level, football is the king. And we had, and we ended up opting out. Uh, with uh, our program, and therefore there were some tough choices that had to be made. A lot of schools had to cut some programs. They cut staff. I mean, even at even at Florida State, they did twenty. They did uh, reductions in terms of salaries and so forth. So COVID nineteen was definitely the worst. Um, from my perspective, being a facilities guy with facilities background, I'm really um, happy and proud of. The facility improvements I see, I think the new field house looks beautiful and the work they've done there. Of course, uh, with the money we've got from the city of Tallahassee and what they're doing with the West Stands and, and the stadium and, and then the softball field, turf field. Um, there's just been some really good needed improvement. And I think we're seeing some of the fruits of that labor with uh, how all of our sports are, are doing in terms of recruiting. Nice. All right. Good, good, best and worst. Kofi, how about you? Uh, best and worst from the past year? Well, uh, he hit it dead on the head, just starting with the absolute worst. You don't get any worse than COVID-19 and uh, the apprehension that was coming along with it and the difficult decisions that came behind it, um, you know, with the loss of, I want to say, the different programs and uh, how that impacted Rattler Nation, how that impacted our flow, how that impacted recruitment, how that impacted our engagement. Um, and But the good thing is, I think it opened up uh, an opportunity to create different avenues and different ways to communicate with the fan bases, uh, with our fan base in particular. And it uh, helped to, I want to say, create different ways that, you know, maybe Rattler Nation could be marketed uh, across or even around the globe. Uh, that being said, the, the top news for me 
was fam you joining the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference, and uh, the Nike sponsorship with LeBron James, I think is unparalleled. We had already signed uh, or had an agreement, not signed, we already had an agreement in place with Adidas, which was already going to be um, the best deal for HBCUs across the board. And then um, some things happened behind the scenes and Nike was able to come to the forefront with LeBron James. And that seemed, you know, that just made it a no brainer, but having that brand, uh, that brand entity behind FAMU is unparalleled. And I'm so excited to see exactly where this is going to take FAMU athletics. So let me ask this Kofi, because you, you hit on one of my, one of my two best, which was the Nike and LeBron relationship. Um, and, and Kelvin, you can jump in on this as well. Why do you think LeBron chose, why do you think LeBron and Nike chose family? I mean, you look, I, I, well, I, go ahead, go ahead. Decisions are made based off of who is at the table. Okay, so let's start there. So FAMU has... Um, one of the good things about the SBI, the School of Business and Industry, as well as journalism, is that um, our people are behind the scenes and they are decision makers at major news networks, as well as major sports apparel companies, as well as major sports media companies. When people look at how fam you got on ESPN game day, that was because one of our guys that was a graduate of the school of journalism um, was a decision maker. and was like, we're going to put fam you and Hampton on ESPN game day. And that was that. So um, the guy, you know, um, let me not get ahead of myself. Uh, Family has very important people. The guy that was at converse, uh, once Nike and Converse had that little uh, deal, uh, was able to coerce. But I think that what really attracted um, LeBron James and sealed the deal was FAMU has the fan base. We don't have just any fan base. Our people want Nelia. Our people wear Nelia. Our people buy Nelia. It is well documented that FAMU, along with Southern University, have the highest um, number of paraphernalia that is sold on a global, uh, I want to say on a global basis. So that's well documented. Having the decision makers at Nike to bring LeBron James to the table where he could consider and look at all that FAMU has to offer. FAMU has a rich athletic history along with the fan base it has a rich athletic history we have a history of winning we have a history of being in front in the media we have a dynamic school we have 37 conference championships in football we have 15 national titles in football alone that does not include the hall of fame people with bob hayes that does not include althea gibson with wimbledon that does not include Bob Hayes with track and field as an Olympian or Willie Gallimore. It doesn't include any of those people, but having that rich history, having that heritage, and then also the climate that was in the United States at that time has provoked many athletes to say, Hey, let me reconsider 
where my money is going. Let me see if I can really help somebody or help a school or help my people to get to the next level. And so I want to say that all of that was a recipe for uh, the conversation to be had where LeBron could be at the table and see the greatness that FAMU brings. Kelvin, what do you want to add on that? I think uh, Pope it covered it really well. The only thing I would say is that timing generally matters. And he talked about some of the social issues and and <clears throat> the trend of folks returning to HBCUs. You see it with star athletes taking head coaching positions. Uh, and I know we'll talk about it a little bit more. And then I also would say that along with the relationships, generally people give the relationships and somewhere along that line, along with the decision makers, uh, there was someone within Nike that had a relationship with LeBron that he trusted. And our brand and our name and all these other things, uh, they came to a decision that from a business standpoint, as well as a uh, relationship standpoint, that it was something they wanted to do. And that says a lot about family brand. No, yeah, and, and it says a lot too. I mean, if you if you guys think back to when Jordan started his brand and that Jumpman symbol, and I'm I'm assuming LeBron symbol will be the the, the sort of the crown thing that the L, uh, which looks like the the L and the J or something like that. Um, the that started with probably his alma mater, right, Carolina. Or did it start, it may have started with somebody, it may have even started with Michigan, who started with the Jumpman logo first. But I'd be willing to, I I think it started with his alma mater. The thing about James, James really didn't have an alma mater. Obviously, we understand his story. His story, he went from high school uh, to to the pros. And, you know, I, I know at times he's been a big supporter of, you know, power five teams, Ohio State, Kentucky, things of that nature, even Duke. And I thought it was really significant that he chose FAMU to be the first signature program where all 14, and, and I'm going, you know, just to, just so everyone knows, it's all 14 programs, all 14 sport programs will wear, um, and 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 the hundred. Let's not forget the hundred, right? Because the hundred is a part of this as well. Uh, Nike will supply footwear, uniforms, apparel, equipment, and uh, our sports teams are going to be outfitted, outfitted in the LeBron James uniforms, apparel, and footwear. Uh, obviously, if you're on social media, you've seen the the shoes uh, and some of the different shoes I've seen from the the men's basketball program, and I'm sure. Over the course of the season, it'll be uh, really exciting to see all of that. And I, and I know I'm jumping way ahead, guys, but as, as I was hearing Kofi talk about that relationship, there's a certain high-level prospect in the James game that I don't know, man. I, I, I'm going to start to keep my eyes open. I, I, somebody may be coming to FAMU to spend a year in college. I'm just saying, if somebody's going to do it, where he might go for a year in college, somebody in the James game might end up at FAMU. But anyway, that we know that's another that's another topic. That's another topic. But I just, well, you know, Ken Griffin Jr.'s son plays football. 
Look, look, for yes. FAMU. Yes. And Ken Griffith Jr. is a Nike man. Yes. So mm. please, please don't underestimate yeah. any look. of those things um, playing a factor. So yeah. I look, I, I hadn't even really given it serious thought until I heard you really break that down the way you did, Kofi. So, I mean, that that uh, that's going to have me uh, buzzing and kind of keep an eye out on uh, on young Bronny and seeing what, what his future holds. Uh, my So that's kind of my – I'm going to also go with a number 1B in terms of best. We, we did win a championship. I, I don't know if people know this, but fam, you did win a championship this past year, and that goes to uh, golf. That goes to our golf program, won their very first MEAC championship. Uh, and it, of course, is the last. So it's like there's no better way to get your first on the way out the door of the MEAC to the SWAC. And so our golf program went into SWAC. That was uh, the only uh, conference uh, championship that uh, that we won this past year. So uh, congratulations uh, to, to, to our golf program on on doing that um and i i feel like i gotta yeah i, I want to make sure i i i mention as okay. I'm, yeah you go, go ahead and say, say that again congratulations and thank you coach rice great job you and your team and your staff right yeah so i mean i i, I definitely think we we got to make sure we we mention uh, a, a program and and uh, Coach Mike Rice for for that start. It's a great start going into the SWAC, uh, no doubt. Um, worst of the year, COVID obviously, but for me it was how COVID affected cancellations. I thought the worst of the year was when our women's program opted out women's basketball program opted out on the week of their season starting. And I believe it was going to be a, it was going to be a game against Florida state, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and so it would have been in Tallahassee and this happened. I believe the game was scheduled for like a Wednesday with the day before Thanksgiving, the, the news of them opting out was on a Monday. Um, not going to disparage the women's decision to do that. I hated it for Coach uh, Pillow. I mean, new coach coming in. Uh, I, I'm really excited about what she's going to bring to the program. And it just, it was disappointing that that happened when it did. But I thought it was also interesting that of all of the programs that opted out of this year, and, and, and we were in a different situation than Bethune, guys, right? Bethune chose administratively to, to bench all of their programs. Ours wasn't necessarily that case, but we had volleyball that didn't play. Uh, bowling didn't play. Cross country, women's cross country. Softball didn't get a chance to finish their season. They had some cancellations. And then our women's track and field, uh, right on the eve of the MEAC tournament, them along with the women and the men had to pull out. Um, and it was a trend that I saw happening in a lot of places across the country that for whatever reason, and, you know, people will maybe jokingly say sometimes women are smarter than men. And sometimes women are a little more 
uh, health conscious than us men or men's young young men even. Uh, it, it it's not lost on me that it's the women's programs uh, that opted out. In a lot of places across the country, you saw opt outs by women's programs, not necessarily men's programs. The men's programs, when they opted out, nine times out of ten, it was from an administrative level. Uh, so that was that was my my worst. And again, not disparaging anything. I understand it. I understand why it happened. Uh, I hated to see it happen. Let me spin it forward here. What we, we, we're, we're in a place now where vaccinations are have the country feeling a little better about itself, but we're still officially in a pandemic. I don't think we the CDC officially said we're out of a pandemic, uh, even though a lot of places are relaxing restrictions, a lot of upcoming sports. Uh, stadiums across the country are expecting 100% capacity. What do you guys think the future looks like this upcoming year? And I know this could be a long conversation, so feel free to make it short and we can talk about it another time. Will Rattler Nation, is Rattler Nation ready to come back 100% Bragg Stadium to the Lawson Center? Kofi, I'll start with you. Uh, they're ready. Uh, you know, I think that's evident by the fact that, uh, the number of tickets that have been sold for the Orange Blossom Classic and the hotels that have been sold out for the Orange Blossom Classic are a testament to the fact that Rattler Nation is indeed ready to resume, um, I want to say, uh, the Rattler Nation government as being one of the highly attended um, fan bases uh, in college sports, especially among HBCUs. Um, there is no substitute for connectivity. I think people really, uh, COVID-19 affected the mental health of a lot of people. Homecoming is more than just, okay, we're just gonna have a football game. It's an opportunity to hug people, to have conversations with people, to embrace people that you have not seen, to um, to love on people. And that whole aspect has been missing. And I know just people just around the country are anxious to see that get back on track for emotional reasons. That being said, um, good leadership looks at the big picture and the science is the science. Um, COVID-19 has not gone anywhere and COVID-19 is not going anywhere and it's going to be here to stay. So what we have to do is to fellowship with precaution. I think that there has to be uh, even a willingness to understand that things could shift and shift very quickly. That the reality is that we could lose football players. There could be things that may happen during the season that will change the um, the seating capacity or the attendance capacity based off what we see. So all of these things are, I want to say, a recipe for future conversations because we have no way of knowing. We cannot see the virus physically. We see the effects of the virus. 
Um, just the news has had a whole bunch of other things to kind of like talk about people just like COVID-19, whatever, COVID-19, whatever, but it's still killing people. So at the same time, people have to take those precautions and keep those things in mind going forward. Kelvin? From an optimistic standpoint, Rattler Nation is absolutely ready. And we always we, we stay ready, number one. <laughs> We're really excited about the whole swag move. It's been a year since we had a chance to talk trash and bragging and so forth. And, and we didn't have homecoming. So from all the chatter that I'm hearing, folks are absolutely prepared and ready. That being said, it's uncharted territory. We just saw Chris Paul uh, sideline for about 10, 10 days with a uh, COVID protocol, and that's the NBA. Um, so we don't know where we're going to be at this point in, in the fall exactly. I know that most universities and pro stadiums have moved forward and are planning on 100% capacity. And that's what that's that's responsible with the science and where we are right now. Uh, but we just have to see. And my 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 concern is, you know, how do you deal with the mask mandate? You know, what is going to be the protocol with that? It's going to be consistent from from event to event. Stadium, different states have different rules. They're in different places. Um, if one staff member or, or uh, somebody from a team contracts uh, COVID, does it shut down the program? So I'm cautiously optimistic, but, but excitement is definitely there. It's funny you mentioned those protocols. That's one of the things that I'm already nervous about, especially after what we saw in the NCAA men's baseball championships. You know, a team got a team who was on the verge of going to the championship, lost half their roster to COVID or contact tracing. And then on the eve of them playing the quote unquote knockout game, got told that they can't even play that. They had a forfeit. You're done. I would hate for there's not going to be room to reschedule games. So, it, I mean, what's going to be the protocol? That's what we got football media days coming up. After that, there'll be volleyball media days and then later basketball. It'll be, I think it's important now th that we hear from the athletic directors, uh, you know, A.D. Gaucher or even commissioner, Dr. McClellan at the SWAC and our other conferences to hear what's going to be the protocol. I, I'm even going to go as far as saying, what about the Orange Blossom Classic? What are their protocols? Are they going to require any type of testing? Uh, because God forbid, I mean, you're the organizer of this. Can you imagine, you know, this, I, you know, Kelvin, you want to be the optimistic. I'll, I'll play the other side just to be devil's advocate here. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't even want to imagine what something like that might happen on a Monday of the Blossom, uh, Orange Blossom Classic week. And you have protocols that cause half our roster to be ineligible to play. So, I mean, but it's a reality that at least right now, until we hear what measures are going to be in place, that's something that worries me right now. Because I do think 
with this new Delta variant. And I, I only mentioned that off of some news I've heard. Uh, our Southern states are under vaccinated and our people are under vaccinated. And they're saying that, you know, that that is affecting us. It could affect us, you know? So those are things that I, I think we have to ask. People, media, black college media, you're gonna, we, we have to ask these questions. I don't know what I look at me like anybody want to stick my head and say, don't test. You don't want to find out, do what? Don't test and let's play. We'll worry about the symptoms. But look, I, I've, I've, after having seen this for the past year and a half, I understand that's not feasible. And I know, you know, nobody wants to be sued on the back end or be held liable on the back end. So you know, otherwise we would have played football in the spring. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. Otherwise, I think we would have, a lot of schools would have played um, HBCUs, that is. So that that's one of my big questions, big concerns. And I think it's something that we have to kind of keep our eyes and ears open and find out how administrators, uh, administrations are going to handle that. Um any final, any, any other, any guys, any other comments on that before we get ready to take a break and come back with a second segment? Nope. All right. Nope, we, all right. When we come back after this break, Kofi's going to lead us into a discussion where we, we actually get a chance to meet and talk about some of the administrators, some of the coaches that, uh, you know, uh, dynamic people, the impact people that we need to be paying attention to. Rattler Nation, you may know some of these names. You may not. We don't want to assume anything. But uh, Kofi's going to get us started when we come back from this break with our first AD, I should say, Administrative and Coach Spotlight. That's what we're going to call that segment, an Administrative and Coach Spotlight. Kofi's going to lead us into that when we come back from the break. You're watching and listening to the ONG Strike Zone with Brian, Kelvin, and Kofi. We'll be back right after these words. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports This is the Dean of the College of HBCU Sports, Kenyatta Cavill of Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Washington and Charles Bishop. Come mix it up in the lab where the course lecture is in session every Tuesday from 6 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time on Facebook Live, YouTube, Spreaker, or the BCSN app. As we discuss all things about the HBCU sports culture, including exploring the week that was in the sporting HBCU dashboard, as well as the upcoming week of HBCU sports. With me, the Dean, the College of HBCU Sports, on Dr. Cavill's Inside HBCU Sports Lab with Mike Watts and Charles Bishop. Course lecture dismissed. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. This is Carlos Brown letting you know that we're on the move. You can now catch the Carlos Brown Show beginning this July on the Black College Sports Network each and every Saturday from 11 to 1 Eastern Time. 
That's 10 to 12 Central Time. Same time, new place. On Facebook at the Coles Brown Show and Black College Sports Network. Online at www.mybcsn.net. And on the BCSN app, available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. Welcome back to the ONG Strike Zone. Brian, Kelvin, and Kofi here. And we move into this segment, which we affectionately call the Administrative and Coach Spotlight. Where what we're going to try to do is, at least in this early part of this year, introduce you to some of the some of the, the, the individuals within the athletic department, uh, as well as some of the coaches, uh, head coaches, assistant coaches, even probably, uh, that uh, that that are making things happen for our various programs. So uh, Kofi is we're gonna we're gonna go through and uh, today he's got an administrator and a coach that he's gonna tell us about. So Kofi, I'm gonna turn it over to you, and then you lead us. You lead us, and we'll follow. All right. Well, we're gonna start off with the HRIC, the HRIC in Rattler Nation. As it when it comes to athletics, and we're starting off with none other than our athletic director Courtney Gaucher, who hails from Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, we know that he's been with us. I would say he's been with us two years now, and he's taken a strong uh, leadership role and a strong hand in getting. Uh, a lot of things done uh, when it comes to our fundraising, when it comes to our facilities, when it comes to uh, just the overall communication and outlook. And I want to say even branding for FAMU Athletics. I think he's done an amazing job of uh, taking FAMU Athletics from uh, one level to the next. And so I'm very happy that he's a part uh, of Rattler Nation. Uh, he's also serving, obviously, as the vice, one of our vice presidents on President Robinson's leadership team. But that's a very, very, very key role because no successful athletic program is successful without the um, without the blessing of the the head rattler, the president. So that is a very valuable um, entity and a very valuable uh, relationship to have uh, when it comes to the decisions that have been made and the decisions that are going to be made uh, regarding the future of family athletics. So I'm very happy that Courtney is, of course, a part. He did a lot of facilities uh, building. I don't want to say different things, even when it came to alcohol sales at games to develop, I want to say generate revenue for uh, Middle Tennessee State. Um, as well as the University of Miami. And so this is a big deal. So I'm very happy that he's a part of our program. 
Can I can I add what I find interesting about uh, Ad Gaucher is I you know he came he came to us right about at the Florida Classic uh, 2019 right so it's been uh, a year and a half really I don't think he's been a full it hasn't been a full two years um, but he came to us at a point where I mean let's think back to almost two years ago a year and a half ago there was so much instability within the administrative levels of not just the athletic department but our own university right and so you know i i think dr dr robinson coming in uh and and being the uh the stable voice and, and finally you know ascending and being officially named the president of the university combined with A.D. Gaucher coming in, and I know, you know, a lot of people, I I heard rumblings, you know, about, you know, his age or experience and things of that nature coming in, but but I'll tell you, I think what's been refreshing, you know, it's one of those perfect timings. I mean, no one could have foreseen, yeah, no one could have foreseen what we were going to have, which was (laughs) what a a pandemic and how it was going to force us into this new technology that a lot of administrations have been pushed into. And then combined with that, uh, having to deal with some of the, 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 the ever-changing format or uh, the ever-changing uh, landscape of college athletics and the conference oh. churning and things of that nature. No one this- foresaw that. Go ahead, go ahead, Kobe, jump in. This is a very, very, very difficult and tumultuous time. FAMU is, you know, we're known to have the snake pit. Um, But if you know anything about rattlers, they're ambush predators, which means they like to hide um, in secret and they will ambush um, whatever's uh, appears to be their meal or their prey when they least expect it. Now, the thing is, this thing can come across a number of different ways. Um, Rattler Nation is very engaged and whoever our leadership team is, we are very engaged in um, the number of things that we have. Uh, we like to have a hand on our coaches, our athletic staff, we like to have a voice, we like to say, we like to uh, relate um, to the people <clears throat> um, that, that are hired. And so uh, the thing that's very interesting is, you know, because of that engagement, that engagement can make a lot of people uncomfortable. For instance, at Ohio State, it'd be very difficult for Joe Blow to come off the street and just meet with an Urban Meyer or a Jim Trestle and just do that. In Tallahassee at FAMU on the highest of seven hills, you know, our coaches are very reachable. Our staff is very reachable. And everything that we say is not necessarily um, peaches and cream. (laughs) So being able, everybody is not able to come in and necessarily get stuff done the way that he has. Um, We were at a point where, things were very unstable because the leadership at the top was very unstable. And we were very unclear about 
what President Robinson actually wanted um, to see from athletics. We were very, many of us were very concerned um, about the direction of the football team, about the direction of the other crown juice sports, our basketball team, our baseball team, all of those things that were uh, a crown jewel for family athletics. We were very concerned about the direction. And quite frankly, our facilities had not been addressed at the level that it needed to be addressed in order to get quality athletes because most of Rapid Nation would just look at stuff and just be like, okay, we supposed to win. Why are we supposed to win? Because we fam you. Well, it doesn't necessarily work like that. We have to have uh, facilities. Well, guess what? Facilities cost money. So where are we going to get the money from? Where are we going to be? How are we going to be able to do that? And to do that takes a commitment from the top. Mm -hmm. Then a commitment from the athletic administration and then a commitment from the alumni and the constituents and the supporters of, of FAMU. So Courtney being able to come in and get that done, make some decisions, make some hard decisions and keep the ball rolling, I think is definitely key. That hasn't been without some bumps in the road um, with some uh, different things as he came to know and is still coming to know the lay of the land. But at the same time, um, a lot of these tough decisions have been made. And for the most part, he's done a solid job. Oh, no doubt. I, I think the, his engaging personality in every show that I've seen him in, which is, which is another thing. Look, I'm going to be real. If I had to do a stop and I'm just doing an unofficial count on who you have seen, whose administrator have you seen on more shows? And I'm talking more HBCU-centric shows and things of that nature. I think I think A.D. Gaucher has been on, he, he's probably at the top of the list in terms of he's made an appearance on practically everybody's show that covers HBCU or maybe college sports that has podcasts. I, I mean, I, I that's significant when I don't think FAMU ever had that from its athletic director. Courtney's doing an amazing job from that standpoint. And, um, you know, I think that as long as he keeps his head level and remains focused and has a good solid team around him. And remember that the people at, in Rattler Nation will always have a hand somewhat in what you do, where you go, how you do it, all of those things. Those things are things because rule number one of the rules is uh, when you come and you become a leader at FAMU is do not rile Rattler Nation. All right. Don't rile Rattler Nation. Do, don't, don't do stuff that's going to cause Rattler Nation to get on social media and make your life a living H-E double hockey sticks. Like what? You know what's what an example? Give, give an example. Not that he's done anything like this, but maybe mm -hmm. what is something if you were, if you were advising or, you know, hey, he, you know, A.D. Gaucher called you and said, Kofi, what kind of things do I need to watch out for? What kind of things do I not need to do? You would say what? I would say remain humble. I would say keep your head on a swivel. Don't make decisions out of emotion. I would say. We've seen that before. Uh, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, that was one of the things that, uh, what was a man's name? Uh, Hall of Fame tight end, what was his name? Kellen Winslow. Kellen Winslow. Jesus. Kellen Winslow came here, bro, 
And I would, you know, I knew. Listen, I knew within <laughs> my first encounter with him, everybody's like, oh, he's bringing, he's telling the truth. I said, eh, I don't like the way he necessarily said that now. He just kind of like getting here. And while what he was saying was true, that family athletics was broken, the solution aspect of what he was talking about was not necessarily in place. In addition to that, he was very combative and very defensive and took stuff personal. And, you know, he fired Earl Holmes on homecoming week. Never forgive him for that. I can't never forgive him for that. Bro, then he came in the convocation and got on. I don't know why they put him on on the microphone. Because that (laughs) (laughs) But they put it on the then we really have to talk about it. Yeah, Kelvin, hey, look, I missed this. Look, look this they, they have video. We didn't have they video there, so come on, we got to talk about they it. Put him, so, they put him on the microphone, and this fool is sitting up there talking about, yeah, you know, Brown is like, oh, boo, boo, and boo, boo. My mama booed him. You know, it was that bad. So my point is, my point is, um, Courtney's done a good job of bringing solutions. Um, Even if you have to treat people or you have to make a hard decision regarding the employment of the staff and people that you have, and you have to make those, do it with wisdom. Do it with, um, with common sense. I'll put it like that. Do it with wisdom. Do it with input from those who've been here longer than you who might want to say to you, you might want to reconsider how you're doing this or how this is being communicated because this could cause a problem for you. All Kelvin, right, I'm done by my soapbox. What do you want to add, Kelvin? Add, add please. Yeah, so I'm going to just jump here real quick. And wh- what I would say is, um, Tammy Brand has been great for a long time, right? Uh, the opportunity to lead um, a brand like FAMU, an iconic brand like FAMU, has to be appreciated and, and treated with care. It's a privilege. I, I, I agree that I'm really proud of what's happening in terms of you see things, right? We all remember certain ADs and administrators saying a lot at different events, but nothing ever happened. Uh, it's good that you can see action, right? Now, COVID-19 really kind of changed things because we haven't had a traditional season mm-hmm. uh, where you had to deal with the, some other potential challenges. And, and so, and to be able to be nimble enough on your feet to make a decision such as looking at the feasibility study that had already been done and and, and taking advantage of the opportunity uh, and seeing the, the opportunity in going to the swag and being able to sell that, that's, that's impressive, right? So absolutely, there have been some, some wins. Um, I like to think that the foundation was in place where you were able to pick up the ball and continue on the journey versus building Right, I think that there was some 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 strong foundational pillars 
and and he he's taking advantage of the opportunity, and um, and we just have to continue to work together, um, to 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 move the football forward. You mentioned things that were already sort of in place that credit him for paying attention to, and and sort of adding to it. What? What uh, in play? What would you say right now? Maybe it may it could be this nil thing. Um, is there something that he has done that you can look at and say that's one hundred percent all ad Gaucher? And maybe nothing is ever one hundred percent yours. I mean, you're, you're kind of all we're all caretakers, or he's a caretaker of this brand, and so maybe it's the the deal with Nike. Maybe it's the um, the NIL uh, agreement that they recently signed with the company uh, INFL uh, CR. What what is it that you've seen thus far, or what might if you had to predict what was something you would say? Hey, I, I'm curious to see if he does this because this will be something that will sort of be his legacy mark at FAMU or when he does leave FAMU in X amount of years. I don't the, know. The tough thing is, is, is just one person, right? Okay. The department, he has, there's administrators, there's coaches, there's athletes. It's a team. Athletics is a team thing. So, you know, it's tough for me to just say one thing. I, I do mention about the uh, feasibility study because when you make transitions and you're talking about changing conference and so forth, that is the standard for all athletic departments and how you make those decisions. That that was in place. A version of that was in place. Um, when you talk about some, we mentioned how, how we think the facilities improvement um, are in, uh, that are going on, you know, uh, some of those things were in place. Some of those things, like what they did with the field house, I, I just have to tell you from where it was, <laughs> it, it's impressive. Yeah. So, you know, you want to give flowers for the win. Because it, it, it's tough, right? It, we don't have an endless bank account where, you know, we get tap into. List. So, so, so just working in the environment, I understand the challenges and how difficult things can be given, um, you know, the resources. So, so what I would say is, again, the fact that you can actually see tangible action things, you can see the change over the last year and a half, you know, you have to give kudos, Kofi. Yeah, I, I, I'll let you. I'll let you uh, add and then close on the uh, on the Gauche. Uh, yeah, just, you know, just really the whole Rattler Athletic Fund, the engagement, and really leadership um, gives a clear picture of where you are, where you're going, and how you're going to get there. Um, he's done a good job of communicating um, vision the why we made the move to the SWAC, the why, you know, the, the, the whole thing with the, it was, it was just maybe a year ago that the field house was in shambles with holes in the roof and, and all kinds of craziness and stuff going on. That, that was a lot to be able to pull that trigger on that and to see that um, come to fruition is a big deal. So, I wish him the best and looking forward for greater things to come from him. Well said. And I, I think I, and I'll, I'll give it over to you here in a second, Kofi. I would say 
what I've seen A.D. Gaucher do, I think has inspired quite a few other universities. Not going to put any names on it, but if you can look at social media and see things that other schools are doing, I, I look, I, I think they, they started some of their projects right after FAMU started theirs. That may just be a little, that may just me seeing it from some orange and green colored glasses. I, but I'd be, I, I think he has inspired uh, a few other universities to us uh, to, to step up their fundraising activities uh, with terminology very similar to that, that stuff that we have and even some of their projects. So uh, what, what they say, uh, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. And so uh, those other programs may not say it. Those alumni won't say it, but uh, I'm going to say it. <laughs> Props to uh, A.D. Gaucher for, uh, for uh, leading this team. Very well said, Kelvin, this team uh, of FAMU athletic administrators. So uh, let's go to Kofi. Let's go to our, our coach spotlight. Our first coaching spotlight is for this year. Well, yeah, definitely for this segment is none other than uh, head football coach Willie Simmons, uh, who hails all the way from the metropolitan, I'm sorry, the metropolis of Quincy, Florida. And um, he's done a brilliant job of leading the Rattler football program back to a place of prominence. And I want to say relevance, and that is key. Uh, and that's very difficult to do in a time when you haven't even necessarily played a game in an entire year. But to see how uh, aggressively they are recruiting top quality athletes, how now they can actually bring athletes into the field house without having to hide the field house is a plus. But then in addition to that, um, selling the program and even during the downtime being having the vision and the wherewithal to say let's get a scrimmage um against another quality team let's let's scrimmage albany state let's let's scrimmage the university of west florida who won the division two national title let's scrimmage these guys and give our guys um something that they can see have some uh legs under them and you can see the the culture of the team where they're practicing all around. You got kids doing videos of them throwing, um, doing a number of different things, the camp visits around the state. He has made um, FAMU's program, uh, I want to say, better. I mean, I didn't even know what a training table was till he brought it up. It was like, training table? What's training table? Then he said training table, and I was like, oh, this is why you need training table. And he communicated that, and the next thing you know, we got a training table at FAMU. So all of those things are, are I want to say, paramount to uh, the success of an overall program. Yeah, y'all hear me? And uh, I, 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 I jump in and say that uh, the angle I'll come at is he's been a great ambassador for the university. Absolutely. extremely involved in the community um, with, with his players, uh, not only with the schools and so forth, but trying to end the violence and, you know, in some of these rallies. And so he's been at the forefront of this stuff, right? And of course, being a product from the greater community area. Um, he's articulate, charismatic, and he's sincere. He's genuine. And so I really appreciate the leadership 
that he has shown. And evidence of that is that you don't see his players in the news too often getting in trouble, doing a wrong thing, right? They're champions on and off the field. So I think not only is he he's a great coach because his record speaks for itself, uh, and um, he seems to be building a dynasty so much so that word of mouth, players are recruiting players to play for his program and making the decision to come here when they have options, including at, you know, the FBS level. So that, that tells you what other coaches and peers think about. I mean, he's had offers from Power 5, you know, programs and so forth. So he shows his commitment here. Um, but uh, I just think um, we're, we're fortunate to have him at this time, and um, he's doing a great job. Yeah, no, this is a this is a great, uh, great fit right now. Um, I, I think what's interesting is in a time where you've seen a lot of schools deal with the transfer portal, and I'm talking about kids leaving, or you know, I I I, I haven't seen now. I mean, other than obviously we had one player who opted out to go into the draft, but he was an older player at that, um, and so we kind of you kind of felt that that might happen once the decision came out that we weren't going to play spring football. Um, Family really hasn't lost anybody to the portal. None of our main guys. Um, we, we've actually added some players from out of the portal. Um, although I don't think we lost too many. I mean, there were, you guys might correct me if I'm wrong here. There were a lot, I mean, we were looking at, returning a lot on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, obviously outside of the quarterback, the quarterback's going to be the big question, which I'm sure we'll start talking about here in the upcoming month. And, and that'll be a big debate, but everything else on offense was solid set and returning defense. We knew what we had. We were expecting for some additions to come in or just some experience to grow. Um, so I think there's so much, there's stability within the offensive program or within the program that I think, like you said, like you guys said, it's, it's a testament to him in that he's been able to keep guys uh, and maybe help them understand that. Well, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's him or maybe it's just guys seeing that, you know, Hey, I'm here with a special coach. I'm here in a special situation. I'm here at a great school. I don't need to go anywhere else. I mean, granted there's a handful of schools playing spring ball, but, you know, really for FAMU, it was a normal spring. I, I've been saying this for the teams like FAMU, and, and I'm going to reference Alcorn State, it, it was a normal spring. It, you didn't have to play several games. You had your normal 14, 15 practices. You had your spring games. That's what you would normally do. That's what, what you did this year is what you did – uh, or what you will do, spring 22, what was done back in spring 19. Uh, the only time it wasn't done, obviously, was spring 20 because that was the pandemic going on, right? So in that respect, it was a normal year. And we came out of it hopefully healthy, hopefully rested. And yes, we haven't played a football game in two seasons, but, you know, um, It'll be interesting to see how those schools who who did not play, how rested they are, how fresh they are 
compared to the schools that did play, you know? And, and so uh, it, it, it's interesting, you know, I, I, I applaud everything that, uh, that, that we've seen. Now, look, the elephant in the room, let's be real, is we came very close. Uh, we'll put it like this. On a scale of one to 10, how, how, where do you guys think, how close were we to losing Coach Simmons, in your opinion, one to 10? Seven and a half or eight? Calvin? I'm not sure. I would probably say five, six. It was at least 50 50. 50 50. Yeah, I would go about, I'd go about five, six. I, I'd say 50 50. Uh, I, I can't look, and, and we talked about this off air. I think Willie Simmons, had, you know, sometimes when you see certain people, when you meet certain people, they, you, you just know they have that it. I, I'll equate this to the first time I saw Barack Obama at the, when he was a senator at one of the Democratic conventions, I think it was. I saw his presence and I said, he's got it. Whatever it is that looks presidential, that's it. Now, the question is, can all the other stuff around him, can he survive all of that? Because he has it. I look at Willie Simmons and I see he has it. Whatever it is, that thing is that coaches have that that magnetism that draws money, that draws fans, produces wins, players want to come play for, you know, he has it. I don't think he will leave Florida A&M University for a position coach at an FBS school. I, at, at worst, at worst, it would be a offensive, it would be an offensive coordinator position at a power five program. But I think it's more likely he'll be the first since Willie Jeffries left at HBCU to go be a power five or upper D1 coach back in the 80s when he left Howard to go be the coach at, uh, I think it was, was it Wichita? Wichita State. Right, right. And we've seen that on the opposite side. Kobe, you brought it up how Mike London kind of went from Richmond to Virginia. But I'm talking from an HBCU, and I'm talking an African-American coach. I'm not talking about, we, we, there have been an, there have been an HBCU coach to go, but he, he wasn't, he didn't look like us. He wasn't African-American. Okay. <laughs> so there hasn't been any that have gone from the HBCU level to an FBS school, Power Five. I'm not going to lie. Willie Simmons has it. And so I just hope it doesn't happen before he wins us a uh, – uh, to, to gets us a couple wins. I'm not, I don't want just one win. I want a couple wins over Bethune. And I take one SWAC title. So if I get at least a couple of wins over Bethune and one SWAC title, I think myself, I think a lot of people in Rider Nation will understand if five years down the road, if Willie Simmons progresses on to an FBS program. So I, I just had to, I just got to say that I'm not wishing that to happen. I, I, maybe I'm wrong for even speaking on it, but I, that's just me. I just, I, you know, any, any, you guys want to add to anything on, on that before we close this segment? Enjoy them while we got it. There you have it. It's uh, it's hard to replace uh, brilliant people. It's it's not easy. Um, 
I think that the University of Florida found that out when they hired Zook after they had Spurrier all of those years. What was that Zook came after Meyer? Either Zook way. came after Meyer, yeah, right. Yep. Either way. <laughs> Either way, baby. You know, they had people like, oh my God, like, yeah, I think we should have stuck with uh right. We should have we should have stuck with Meyer. Uh, what's the other guy's name? Um Muschamp. Yeah. You know, I think he came after Mus- great position guy. Sure. Great position guy, but he wasn't urban, you know, you know, and um I think Muschamp is a football guy, but having the perfect fit for your program is it's it's not easy to do it's not easy to do i don't know who's going to follow Saban, you know when he leaves oh dabble it's already it's already written we'll see uh but i i will say this last thing though look at look at the i think you when you have a a group robinson dr robinson gochet simmons now you got that three, three very important players in moving FAMU athletics and FAMU football into this new swag. Three very important people. And I think they're they're the right combination in terms of presence, uh, personality, um, the way they engage with people. Um, I, I think it's a great combination. I, it is very hard to find that kind of combination that works. I mean, if we talk about moving in and bringing in dollars, bringing in major money, this is a great group, these three. I, I don't know how long we're going to have these three, but like you just said, Kevin, we better appreciate these three that we have right now, especially going into this first year of the SWAT, where it's about to get, man, I'm telling you, when the heat gets turned on, Come August and September 4th, whoo, we better appreciate it while we got it because it's going to get hot. It's going to get hot. Absolutely. Um, yeah. All right. So great, great job, Kofi, uh, administrator, coach spotlight, something we'll be doing every show, kind of bringing you a different administrator, a different coach, kind of breaking down even so much as just giving you an idea on, hey, if you have an issue or a thought about something and you need to reach out, this is the person you need to reach out to. And I think uh, if you're not following uh, A.D. Gaucher or Coach Simmons on Twitter, you're missing out. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I think I don't have the – I think uh, any the, the, the Twitter handles are – they are what they are. I think it's at uh, Courtney Gaucher or uh, I, I, don't, I think it's at H.C. Willie Simmons for uh, Coach Simmons. But uh, they're great follows on Twitter. I'm sure they're on Instagram and Facebook as well, but uh, you need to be interacting with them as much as possible. All right, let's take a break. And when we come back, we got to talk about the SWAC and we got to say goodbye to the MIAC. Plenty of years and plenty of memories from out of the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. We got to say goodbye to those years and get ready to look forward into these uh, days ahead. And uh, Kelvin's going to lead us into that segment. You're watching the ONG Strike Zone. Brian, Kelvin, Kofi, we'll be back right after these words. Follow the Black College Sports Network on social media at MyBCSN1, the number one, on Facebook, 
Instagram, and Twitter at MyBCSN1. Have you had your Earthblend coffee today? At Earthblend Coffee, we take pride in offering you the very best of beans across the world. Blended and roasted to perfection. Giving you superior quality and satisfying and flavorful taste. Experience the world in one cup with Earthblend Coffee. A.D. Drew and I are co-hosts of the BCSN Sports Wrap. We talk about all things related to HBCU athletics. From the games, teams, coaches, and fan interest stories, we cover it all. You can find our shows on Facebook at BCSN Sports Wrap, YouTube at MyJBN Online, and everywhere you listen to podcasts like Anchor, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts. You can also find the show on the Jericho Broadcast Network's app. Make sure to download. We look forward to you joining the conversation and being a part of the show. This is Carlos Brown, letting you know that we're on the move. You can now catch the Carlos Brown Show beginning this July on the Black College Sports Network each and every Saturday from 11 to 1 Eastern Time. That's 10 to 12 Central Time. Same time, new place. On Facebook at the Carlos Brown Show and Black College Sports Network. Online at www.mybcsn.net and on the BCSN app available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports Network. to the ONG Strike Zone, Brian Fulford, Kelvin Rozier, Kofi Hemingway. And uh, now we move into this part of the segment where we uh, we bid our fond farewells to the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. And we look forward to being a part of the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the SWAG. Kelvin, you're going to lead us down this path of misery, pain, joy and pain, joy and triumphs rather, and uh, what do you got for us? Where are we going? You lead, we follow. It's been an interesting relationship, to say the least, between FAMU and the NEAC Conference. From the time we joined in 79, a mere five years later, we left the conference. And after the 84 season, we came back the 86 season, and then we left again in the 2000, after the 2003 season. Uh, that was the Division I uh, effort. And then we came back in 2005, and now it's 2021, and we're going again. So I record with the MEAC in terms of our 40s, whatever year history is, five years in, two years out. About 16 years in, 
two years out. Another 16 years in, now we out again. Um, that's been our history uh, with the MEAC. And, and some of the reasons behind that, uh, you, you think about the first time being that the, the league fined us and made us ineligible uh, for the champion, for, for the playoffs uh, because of our dispute with BCC uh, at the time and uh, our decision of, of, of that game. And so uh, the, you could argue that the conference didn't have FAMU's best interest at hand uh, in that case. And so FAMU made a decision at that time, what they felt was the best decision for FAMU. They were looking out for FAMU. We wanted to play out, we wanted to be in the playoffs. We wanted to uh, compete at the highest level. And then of course, uh, again, the, the idea of competing at the highest level was behind the 2003 uh, effort. The interesting thing about that, Coach Simmons, our current coach now, was coming in as a transfer from Clemson to lead that team. And it was a team that had quite a few players that were coming in. And well, people were really excited uh, about the potential of that team. Of course, we had the legendary uh, Billy Joe um, leading, leading us there. And, and uh, because of the timing, we talk about timing a couple of times. Um, because of the timing of that, uh, we were at FCS when those folks were signing, but when it, they moved up, moved up the date uh, and made that year uh, our, um, our our transition year for FBS, it made all those transfers ineligible for the season, and so they all had to transfer back out. So, um, two years passed, and then we went back on Fred Gaines, back to the MEAC. And, and um, the, the Florida Classic was already a signature event prior to the MEAC. And at some point, upon our return to the MEAC, we became a part of the MEAC conference media package, which means that distribution revenue was shared uh, with all the institutions. And um, if you listen to uh, A.D. Goldshape talk about his thinking and reasoning of transitioning to the SWAC, some of, a lot of that talked about um, revenue, marketing, media, merchandise, and opportunities uh, and increases. So FAMU's, FAMU's relationship with the MEAC has always been one that has been contentious. Uh, but with that being said, there have been periods of domination and just pure joy. Uh, we've had dynasties, of course, with the village of football teams in the mid, late 90s to the early 2000s. Um, we enjoyed a lot of success with uh, our volleyball team. We even hosted an NCAA regional in which the champion that year 
Stanford was one of the teams that came and traveled to us uh, in our regional. Uh, won eight or nine in a row. We had success on a Coach Lane and on a Coach Darlene Moore with uh, our track program uh, over a prolonged period of time. Uh, women's basketball enjoyed some good years, uh, both on the Coach Clayton and Coach Farmer. And men's basketball had a period where they had great tournament success uh, under Coach Gillespie and, and, and Coach Terrence Wood transfer and, and that, 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 that great game that we had against uh, Kentucky in the first round and the playoff win that we had in the first round. So there have been periods of excellence in all sports almost. We have a lot of um, championships. So, so in that sense, the MEAC has been, been a success for us, but I'm really excited to turn the page and, uh, and, and, and see what the swag holds for us. Kofi, you, you talked about, and Kelvin, maybe you can even add in, we were talking about that first transition out uh, and what that, what that, what that looked like. And, and for those who may not know, it, it, go back into again, why we left the first time back in 83, was it? Or 82. After, now 82, we won our first MEAC championship. We were co-champs with South Carolina State in 1982. So a year later, though, we're leaving. And break that down a little more in a more detail, a little bit about, you mentioned a, a Bethune-Cookman game. Uh, for those who may not know or may not recall. Well, um, that whole Cookman thing, they they awarded, the MEAC awarded Cookman um, the gate receipts, um, I believe back in 83, um, we were the home team or they were looking at, you know, just kind of like doing that. And, you know, family was like, well, first of all, you know, we started the classic um, and Cookman joined in. And then for you all to do that, um, kind of was was really wrong not to mention that the majority of the people that were there were fam you people so um that was a slap in the face that you're they took about, you're talking about the 82 season where we beat Bethune 29-14 into the season of 82 correct yeah that whole transition but as we transitioned into 83 okay. uh that whole spring was very 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 spring and summer was very contentious uh, to say the least. And that's what got us to this particular point. So we ended up not playing Bethune at all in 1983. We ended up not playing them at all in 1984. And uh, then we got back on track in 1985 when cooler heads had prevailed. But, you know, the whole, the whole, um, the whole thing behind the MEAC and that whole contentious relationship uh, carried over into a number of different things. And that's largely why a lot of, much of Rattler Nation basically felt like it was time to go, we were sick of y'all. Uh, it's time for y'all to, you know, 
we carried the conference. I think if you look back even at the attendance figures from uh, the largest crowds ever in the MEAC, FAMU's easily in the top five. Even South Carolina State, when they hosted their, their classic game in Columbia, we had like 41,000 people at williams Bryce Stadium back in 1991. Um, the Florida classic numbers speak for themselves. Um, you know, all of those games, the Atlanta classic numbers with Tennessee State speak for themselves. So uh, FAMU uh, was a flagship institution for the school. For the, I'm sorry, for the conference. And, um, you know, eh, we're looking for, I want to say, even greater things as we look to um, embark on a new journey in the SWAC. Those, uh, those years that you mentioned, and just to give people perspective, I don't know if we'll ever get back to these numbers, but when you hear these numbers uh, from... And I'm just going to go down top attended games, right? And I'm and I'm going to throw out Ohio State, Florida, Oklahoma, and Miami back in '92. Those are the top four. But then you've got '03 Florida Classic, seventy-three thousand plus. '06 Classic, seventy-one plus. Two thousand Classic, seventy thousand seven plus. '02 seventy the uh, 70,000. Now, that says it's in Atlanta, but I don't know if that's a typo or not. No, because we, we had a, a sellout game with uh, Tennessee State in Atlanta, and uh, we had over 7,000 people there. Okay, right. We did. Yep, that's 03. Uh, 99, 70,000. 05. So, basically, 90, from base, it, it looks like from 1999 to 2006, that's uh, due to math, six or seven years, six years. That's six years, 70,000 plus attended. If you want to include 1998, there were 66,000 that attended the Florida Classic. Now, I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to those numbers again. I mean, I remember those years. Those were, those were awesome crowds, unbelievable crowds. I mean, when you're drawing 70,000. So we're talking about those what you just, what you guys just talked about, those top attended uh, games uh, were absolutely ridiculous, uh, and and the attendance on those. Um, look, move forward to our departure in the second go around, where uh, the first time under Rudy Hubbard, second time under Billy Joe, where we tried to go. Division one, we talked about timing, Kelvin, what can we add? What can you add about the timing of that? Was there a little jealousy from the MEAC or was it just the timing? Because we saw how the MEAC reacted when uh, Howard, no, no, Hampton. We saw how they reacted recently when Hampton decided to leave the conference and they, they weren't even going to division one. They were just going to a new conference. We saw how they reacted. Um, what do you recall about that time? Anything you can share about that that time when we left and, and then us coming back into the conference? So you mentioned earlier about timing and leadership, right? That was a time where we had a lot of changes in terms of the board, 
you know, the, the AD at the time, and uh, in between that period, we had interim uh, shortly after. So there was a lot of diversity of thought with the vision. And the vision was, uh, you know, a little out of the pocket at the time, right? And, but it was a vision. It just needed to be developed more and then have a little more resources put to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, because Central Florida at that time, a, a lot of other programs, the South Florida, I don't know, they had just started a program. They, they hadn't had a program very long. And, uh, but those programs in the 90s, UCF was a, was was not F, uh, FDS Division One program at the time, so they all made their transition during that same time period within two or three years. But um, it really changed the course of family football specifically for a significant amount of time. Um, with the changes that happened with the players. We had to play a Division One schedule, so we had a lot of games against uh, Tulane, Temple, uh, uh, Virginia Techs of the world. Uh, Nickel. So, 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 we, we played a lot of teams with not a Division One talent or resources at the time, and then some of the things fell through in terms of the media. There was a talk about UBC and and a, a media contract that didn't produce. So um, it was botched. Let's, let's just be honest. It ended up being botched. And it changed the projector because you remember the years prior to that, we were competing for championships. We were playing George Southern, Appalachian States of the world, and Troy, Troy State that uh, and winning. Uh, been very competitive, so so we had what was considered a flagship program, one AA program at the time. And when we made that decision, we didn't. Right, and it took us a while to build it back up. Yeah, you're talking about there. There were seven years from '95 to 2001 where we made an NCAA playoff appearance. Uh, as either the MIAC champion or the second place team, uh, you know, as a representative where we didn't go to the uh, uh, Heritage Bowl at that time um, during those seven years. Um, and I don't think we've been back to the playoffs since those, uh, that 2001 season. Um, I mentioned... FAMU's won seven football championships. Three of them were unbeaten seasons. 19, and I mean unbeaten in conference. The 1990 season, and then the 95 and 96 season, which was part of a 13-game MEAC winning streak. Uh, went all the way into the 97 season, where we lost the believe we lost the second game. A&T and Hampton. Yeah, of the 90, the 97 season, uh, where we was just kind of pulling that up here. 
Yeah, because we, we beat Norfolk State to start 97, beat Howard, and then, yep, lost to Hampton 15 to 18, and then lost to AT double overtime. They cheated. They cheated. Both of them games, they cheated. <laughs> cheated. I ain't going to miss them. <laughs> we still beat Bethune Cookman at the end of the year. Unfortunately, we ran into uh, Georgia Southern that year. 52 to 37 lost. Then, of course, the next year was the magical 98 season. Um, b- before we move off of football in our time, greatest Miat game. A- any thoughts? I got a couple of I got a couple of uh, games that I'll throw into the pot. But it, you guys have any thoughts on maybe the greatest Miat game, or maybe the greatest Miat game you saw? I would have to say FAMU Hampton 96, I yeah. think that was, um, with all those overtimes. Six overtime game in the Circle City class. Ridiculous. That was crazy. Um, and then I would probably say, I'm going to pull an old one out of the hat. I'm going to say FAMU South Carolina State 1983 when RCE sent blocked two kicks, two punts. And family ended up winning the game. Yeah, ooh, that's a that's a that's a that's a great memory. Seventeen to fourteen, family won that one back in nineteen eighty three. Uh, what about you, uh, Kelvin? I enjoyed the A and T series, and so the first one that comes to mind was actually a family loss. I can't remember the exact year, but A and T had a running back called Mo Hicks. Oh yeah, and he came to family. And them two years he was there, he gave us fits. <laughs> and but we were both at our peak at that time. And those games were great games to watch. It was high caliber football. So so give me any of those 90 ANT games. And then I have to say, I took so much, so much pleasure in the last two ANT games. 18 and 19. Yeah. You know, the, the HBCU oh, champions, yeah. supposedly oh, champions, yeah. Yeah, paper, exactly. paper champions. But on the field, those rallies got it done. Yes, they did. They did. Uh, I, I'm going to throw in the October. Uh, the date escapes me in, in October exactly, but it was 1998 in Jacksonville. Uh, FAMU versus Howard. Two of the, I, I probably would say, if you and we did this uh, on one of our sports rap shows where we kind of broke down the MIAC quarterbacks of the past 50 years and the Pat Bonner versus uh, Ted White conversation came up. Pat Bonner, by far, having maybe the greatest individual season of any quarterback in the history of the Mid Eastern Athletic Conference versus Ted White who arguably had maybe the greatest career of any quarterback in the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. And those two worlds collided uh, in Jacksonville. And and for FAMU, these records still stand for single-game records, not only for passing, but how about opponents passing? These records still stand for FAMU in our record books. Pat Bonner threw seven touchdowns that game, 509 yards, 
39 completions on 66 attempts. All still single single game records. Ted White threw five touchdown passes, 36 completions, 58 attempts, 561 yards, all single game opponent records. Uh, so, I mean, we're talking 12 touchdown passes, over 1,000 yards thrown um, combined. I, I just, and from a from an offensive standpoint, that was an unbelievable offensive performance by both of those guys. Uh, I, I think we, I, 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 I do the math, 12 times six is 84. So, I mean, I don't know if we had any extra field goals there. I don't know if we broke 100 total, but did I get that right? You're looking like questioning. Did I get that? 12, 12 times six is 72. What'd I say? 72, right? What'd 84. You said 84. You said 72. I said, thank you. Don't, don't roll the tape back. Don't roll the tape back. That's, that's yeah, right. said 72. <laughs> well, I said, I said, check me here. That check me. Good check. Uh, yeah, so... Look, that that's uh that's that's my greatest game. And and then yeah, my other one was you brought up the six overtime game. Um greatest MIAC season for FAMU football. Uh was there one better than the 98 season that you can think of? I thought the 98 season was pretty spectacular. 98 was spectacular for a number of reasons that we just dominated so. Um, but I would have to say I'm going to say 1990. Yes. And that was an unbeaten season. And we played South Carolina State for homecoming that year. And Craig Hall was our punter. And so we were leading the entire game, but South Carolina State had started to make a little comeback in the game. And it was fourth down, and I think about eight. And Craig Hall threw a pass on fourth down as the punter on our own end of the field. And we ended up scoring a touchdown. And I'm sitting up there like, wow, that was the game where that was the game winner because we were literally in our own end of the field. I think it was may have been around 20 yard line and we faked the punt and scored a touchdown. Yeah. You know, what's, what's interesting about that season, that 90 season, I'm just looking at the, the record book of the games. We lost the season opener to Tuskegee, would lose to Tennessee State and Alabama State in that year, Ugh. and then lose to Southern. This is the one thing I'm going to tell you about going into the swag, guys. Our history is so strong in the MIAC, but really against swag opponents, there's a few swag opponents that are going to really have a feeling. They're going to have a, they're going to feel themselves out a little bit because when they go and look at these career records that you you watch you watch the kind of smack talk comes out of some of these schools this upcoming fall and they're gonna say oh well lifetime we're x y and z we've got a winning percentage against famu and obviously all take that into consideration some of these schools we haven't played in 20 years 25 30 years but they've got an all-time win record on us on more than just one school Uh, i think it's at least two or three schools that we uh, are behind the behind the 500 level on. Alcorn, Alcorn dominated us from 82. In 82, they beat us for our homecoming. Mm-hmm. 83, they cheated. 
<laughs> you know, it's every time we lose, I'm gonna say they cheated, but they did. And then people, you think the MEAC refs is something? Them swag referees? Oh, we're gonna, we gonna, we gonna get into that, I'm sure. You ain't sure. seen, you ain't seen nothing. All right, so let me go back to uh, Alcorn. Alcorn beat us, killed us in 84. Um, and then they beat us again in 85. They were clearly the better team in 84. But, you know, again, they didn't play us in the 90s when we had Billy Joe. And we didn't play them when they had Steve Mayne there. So um, that's going to be a that's going to be a dogfight game. You know, whenever we do play them, uh, they're in the West. We're in the East. Uh, Bama State, we're going to flip that series. Um, we're going to flip the Jackson State series, uh, hopefully. I and, think Grambling, uh, Grambling is another one where I think we're on the under 500 side on, if I'm not That mistaken. game goes, it goes in streaks. The, this, you know, there was a time when we dominated Grambling, and then they reeled off a few, I think around 80, 81, 82, they reeled off like three straight, and um, they were able to seize control of the series. That's how that went. Yeah. But we're going to be fine. Um. I, I, let's take a second and let's go any other memories from other sports. And I, and I want to, because I, I want to make sure we, we give credit to all that was accomplished by so many teams. Uh, FAMU won 10 men's all sports awards, uh, the Talmadge Layman Hill award, which goes uh, within the MEAC to the uh, top men's all sports programs. Uh, that's a basically a ten and, I, and you know ninety was ninety was ridiculous because we won everything. We yeah. won everything. We won the basketball tournament. We won. Uh, we won uh, baseball. We won track. We won tennis. We you know we won football. We did everything. So, um, but my favorite MEAC memory was probably that that first MEAC tournament basketball tournament that we won. Um, prior to A&T had beaten us in the final round in 88 and 89. And so going into 90, uh, the 91 season, uh, we play A&T that first round, I believe. And we managed to beat them. And that was Greg Finney and DeLon Turner. Um, that team, we managed to get past them and then we beat um, Coppin State, and um, we managed to go on ahead and win the championship. But that in itself was always interesting because we were in Norfolk. It wasn't, you know, we're far away from quote unquote Rattler territory. Mm-hmm. And they were looking to capitalize and hopefully get the CIAA people to buy into the MEAC tournament. I think that that was the idea. Um, behind moving the, the tournament to Norfolk, but you know, Norfolk ended up being pretty good to FAMU. I put it like that. Right. For a couple and, of years. and FAMU basketball is the only program that never won a MEAC regular season title. Although, you know, we did, you mentioned one of the four, we won four conference tournament championships. Uh, you just mentioned there, Kofi, one of them. Uh, we won three others. Uh, later on, uh, including um, those, which was it the was it the 04 season? Yes, the 04 season where FAMU 
uh, defeated Lehigh 72 to 57 in the play-in game uh, in the first NCAA tournament uh, to, for our first tournament win. And that was also the year Terrence Woods won the NCAA's three-point shootout, which essentially was, you know, an open field of the top shooters in country. So it was a, it was a, it was a good, uh, it was a good tournament at 2004. Got a win under our belt. Uh, Terrence Woods won that uh, major college players three-point shootout competition. Uh, that was uh, that was pretty good. Uh, we've only had one offensive player of the year in basketball, and one coach of the year, and one rookie of the year. You know, it's like in in all that's the one sport that we really haven't haven't owned in the MEAC is men's basketball. I mean, you know, we we've sort of struggled to find our dominant, our dominance in that sport uh, of basketball. And uh, so, you know, and actually two of those awards were recent, of course, coach McCullum this past season, winning coach of the year, MJ Randolph won rookie of the year, just a couple of years ago. Um, women's sports. We won 11. Oh, I, I had to mention this 14 years. You talked about 1990 Kofi. For a 14-year period, we won 10 of those all sports awards from 90 from 89 to 2002. And I'm and I'm saying even though that the even though the MEAC rescinded, or I guess three of those got chopped off because of violations of recruiting or maybe uh APR or whatever, we we won them. We know we won them. I mean, you know, it is you know, but that was during what we call the glory years that you know, God bless President Humphreys. Um you know, he was a, a large reason why we were able to do what we did. Uh, he had tons of relationships, but, you know, his uh, legacy in athletics goes a long way um, to um, why those teams were successful when it came to getting quality athletes. He personally talked to more than a few uh, and convinced them personally to come. Uh, in addition to that, those that may have had difficulty getting into school, it was just a phone call away. Hey, President Hump, can we do X? We need X, Y, and Z. Hump was right there. Boom. Signed it. Signed off on it. It was a done deal. It was not a fight with uh, President Humphreys to do whatever was necessary to ensure um, that the branding and the success of the school um whatever would help fam you to be, to gain notoriety. He was all for it. And it wasn't just the men's sport, the women during that same time period, case in point, won 11 of the women's all sports awards from the MEAC called the Mary McLeod Bethune award. We actually won nine consecutive years from 93 to 2001. Uh, so that just is, shows you the dominance that fam you had during that period. The two other years, uh, we won in 2016 and 2017. But again, during that Humphrey era, uh, 10 men's awards, nine women's awards, all during that era of, uh, and, and, you know, during the Dr. Uh, Frederick Humphrey's era. And we'll talk about his, uh, his lasting legacy on FAMU athletics in just a moment. Uh, any other streaks? Uh, I, I just kind of bullet pointed a couple things, guys. Uh, Kelvin, you mentioned volleyball's dominance. Uh, they went to the NCAA tournament 11 times. 
which is still the most in the MEAC. We won nine consecutive MEAC tournament titles from 2001 to 2009 and have won 13 overall. Um, softball. Softball won the first ever MEAC championship in 1993, then won six of the first seven years. Then they won seven more titles from 05 to 2017, including a four-peat from uh, 2014 to 2017, all under the legendary Veronica Wiggins. Uh, how about this, guys? Talk about what the MEAC is losing and what the SWAC is gaining. 23 years of 27 MEAC championships belong to two schools, FAMU and Bethune-Cookman. All that's going over to the SWAC. You talk about SWAC softball getting tougher and uh, picking up some, uh, some legendary teams. Uh, baseball, uh, baseball, we have the second most championships with eight. Of course, Bethune-Cookman has 19. Uh, so again, what is the MEAC losing? What is the SWAC gaining? Uh, fam, you had a period from 1987 to 2003. We were either first or second every year during that 17-year run, except for maybe 13, except for four years. Uh, we finished, uh, we won six titles in eight years. And then we had a run where we finished second in seven of nine years. So it was like, if we weren't winning it, we were losing it in the championship game. Uh, so that was uh, baseball. And, and then for our ladies in, in women's basketball, uh, they actually won two tournament championships in 95 and 98. Uh, they won a couple of outright titles, regular season in 94 and 95, 95 and 96. Behind the great Natalie White and Kathy Robinson, those were those were my peers. Those were those were my years on the yard. Uh, Natalie White, of course, one of the all-time steals leader. Actually, in terms of all-time single-season, uh, FAMU has the uh, Jasmine Grice, who holds the all-time single-season points record. Natalie White has the all-time single-season steals record, and uh, Martha Howard. 1979, most points in a single game with 44 still stands as uh, actually somebody actually tied that back in 96, but it still stands as one of the most points scored. So that's just some of the uh, things that uh, I think we mentioned earlier, uh, tennis. Uh, we mentioned some of the success from tennis and track and field. So, I mean, look, we, we, we've had some great years in the MEAC. So lots of championships uh, outside of football. And, and I'll end it. We'll, we'll end this segment on this question. Other than football, which sport are you most looking forward to in the SWAC? I'll start with you, Kelvin. So I know you said outside of football, but I'm going to throw one more memory, me at memory in there on the way out, right? Okay. So we hadn't been beaten Bethune Cookman since 2010. Right. That has to be my favorite moment uh, in the MEAC. Uh, you talk about season because we ended up tying for the conference championship and they were undefeated. That was Brian Jenkins' led team. So I just wanted to get that in there. Now, in terms of the swag and the, the sport I'm most anxious to see, it's baseball. 
Swag has been known for great baseball program. Southern has been dumb and they had a lot of pro players. Jackson State is always competitive. So um, I am definitely, uh, Coach Shoup has done a great job with this program. We just won the, the baseball title back in 2019, the tournament title. So uh, I'm just really to see, see that competition um, week in and week out. What about you, Kofi? Uh, I'm going to have to say basketball mm -hmm. uh, to see how our teams fare. Uh, a lot of times with the SWAC basketball teams, they will bring their pep bass um, to games. So it'll be a different uh, animal going into the SWAC and watching our teams actually go up against the Texas Southerns of the world who've been pretty dominant, the Texas teams, the Jackson State teams, which have been pretty good of late uh, to see how we fare. And then, of course, um, the women's teams pretty much like the same thing. Uh, there's some powerhouse women's basketball teams in the SWAC, and it's going to be interesting to see how we stack up. Yeah, I, you mentioned basketball. That's, that's for me, I, you know, because I thought about our women's programs right now, and I don't know if if it's maybe just a down year or we're kind of on that kind of hill where we're maybe down in the valley a little bit on some of our women's programs. Hopefully, hopefully they'll be, you know, uh, on the on the upscale coming up here uh, in the upcoming seasons. But I'm in men's basketball for me because what Coach McCollum has done the last couple of years with the program is he has made us a legitimate team. In the MEAC, and the MEAC has had legitimate, you know, Norfolk State, North Carolina A&T, Central, uh, Coppin, Morgan, teams that we have fared well against and beaten these last couple of seasons. And those those four or five programs I mentioned have all had good teams these last couple of years. And I would dare say might be better overall than what's in the SWAC. Now, I mean, the SWAC has a couple of, dominant teams over the last couple of years at Jackson state, <clears throat> Texas Southern. And um, who am I forgetting? Prairie View, Alabama, A&M, uh, Alabama state. Yeah. They're but, all those three. But I mean, in terms of like, I think there's a separation from those three and the rest of them, in my opinion. And so I, I think we can come in and slide right in there, right below maybe those top three or four, these top three, those, that top tier. And we can really come in and have some success and might even be able to, you know, I don't even know. We might be able to shock some people and might even be able to win a regular season uh, championship. I don't know. Just, just the thought. I'm just, if the, if the trend continues with what I've seen from coach uh, McCollum in, in the program, um, let's end, let's end on a thought or two. <clears throat> excuse me, on obviously uh, we recently learned the, the sad news of the passing of uh, Dr. Frederick S. Humphreys. Um, I think, I think we're all Humphreys era Rattlers, aren't we? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah. So we, um, you know, it, it, that's our president, so to speak, you know, and I, I think any, Humphreys era Rattler who came in, <clears throat> um, whether you came in under one of his <clears throat> scholarship programs, uh, such as the Life Gets Better Scholarship, 
Um, you also had the graduate school feeder program. Um, if you were a national achievement scholar, um, you know, if you were there when FAMU was selected by Time Magazine and Princeton Review as the college of the year in 97, <clears throat> you were you were part of those great years at Florida A&M. <clears throat> and um, that's not me getting emotional. I'm just kind of coughing here. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> it, it is, it is, uh, it, it, it's, it's sad that, you know, we, we, we've lost uh, Dr. Humphreys, but we're so thankful for what he meant, what he meant to the university, what he meant to athletics, as we just talked about. So I thought we'd kind of close out with maybe a thought or two that you guys might have on Dr. Humphreys and his time at FAMU from 1985 to 2001. Uh, so the first thing for me would be, of course, the iconic Rattler champ, right? It's synonymous. You can't go to a family event, period, without the president doing that chant. And even though I've heard it thousands of times now, every time, it gives me just chills. And um, of course, different people do it differently. Nobody can live up to the way Doc did it, though. I mean, it was just special. And um, so... So of course, with every athletic event, home event that 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 is performed, and and to see visiting teams and uh and uh fans see that, and then one of the things they always talk about, man, now that's special. That I like that, right? So he 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 gave us that, and then of course you talk about what he meant his his tenure. You know, from what, 85 to 2000, 2001, um, we were great in everything, right? We were trendsetters, whether it be athletics, whether it be academics, um, whether it be fundraising from, at a corporate level. And then the fact that he had the energy to do all of this, but still had the humility and the accessibility that he had, and that he could remember names, majors, uh, where you're from, and felt, and he felt like, you know, he was your friend, right? He, he was just an amazing person, and of course, his accomplishments speak for themselves. Yeah, President Humphreys was definitely a gene, yes just a straight genius. Um, everything that my brother Kelvin just stated uh, is absolutely true. But uh, what I would leave everyone with is uh, the Bible says that without a vision, the people perish. What President Humphreys came and did for FAMU was establish vision. He gave us an insight in terms of where we were. He gave insight of where we were going. And he gave details as to how we were going to get there. And then when we saw the manifestation of that vision begin to manifest, the enrollment began to increase, 
the word began to get out about the greatness of Florida, of as he would say it, the Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. And so uh, he gave, he, re he restored the mystique of FAMU. Uh, he came to FAMU at a time when FAMU was good um, and was great in some areas, but when he came, fam, you became great in every single area. And uh, it's, it's, it's due to his vision. It's due to his passion. He was the overseer. He brought great people in. He was not intimidated by anybody else's greatness. He was able to stand on his own two feet and was willing to do whatever it took to get the very best and the brightest at FAMU. Well said. Um, Dr. Humphreys, of course, a rattler himself, uh, graduated magna cum laude with a Bachelor of Science in Chemistry in 1957, uh, went on to receive his doctorate, master's and doctorate, uh, went on to teach, came back to FAMU as a professor in 68, then became the director of the 13 college curriculum program for HBCUs, would later become the president at Tennessee State University and uh, oversaw Tennessee State's uh, landmark uh, acquisition or merger uh, of a predominantly white institution with the University of Tennessee Nashville campus. And then later, becoming the president at uh, Florida A&M uh, for 16 years. And uh, those were, <clears throat> those. I mean, just imagine that period of time. The, the one thing about our era that I'm always fascinated by, guys, we, we grew up and we came through this technology that sort of runs our world and the way we talk about sports and things of that nature, we grew up with typewriters and got to the new millennium with cell phones and laptop computers that we could take anywhere. You know, I mean, we, we transitioned technology. We, we watched the transition of technology and what it meant for us, those of us who had encyclopedias in the in the foyer of your house, and you had to do research by going to the library to actually, you know, where we could just on our computers find out information. And so all of that, the challenges of that growing period of time, especially on a university, and FAMU did not fall behind. You know, FAMU did not fall behind. And, and unfortunately, uh, he, he left a a very high bar for those who came after him. Um, and it was very tough for many of his predecessors to, uh, to, to reach. Uh, I think I'm, I think I'm being fair in saying that. And uh, so, but he set a very high bar and his athletic prowess support, prowess support was evident. Uh, and, and you said it yourself. Uh, Kofi, about your uh, your recollection of uh, that uh, that convocation of uh, you know him wanting winners. He, he wanted to he wanted us to achieve greatness at every level, athletically, 
and academically. And I've always felt that when your president understands that and when your president, and I, and I take this all the way down to high school level, when your top leader understands the, the importance of athletic success and how it can motivate and inspire everyone, because we can all achieve. Yes, we all want academic achievement and success, but having it on the athletic stage also increases the brand of visibility. He understood that. And uh, that's what he got. And that's why those, those years are considered some of the golden years of Florida A&M University. And, and uh, we, we hope, we think, we may be in a sort of rebirth. Uh, and it remains to be seen. But uh, <clears throat> the, the, the bar that he set is uh, still trying to be achieved to this day. And so we're thankful uh, to have been uh, Humphreys era Rattlers. And so uh, our, our prayers have definitely been with the Humphreys family, uh, our entire community, uh, those who knew him well, those who knew him from afar. Uh, I, I'm one of those people who knew him from afar, but uh, it, it, you know, I never felt intimidated not to shake his hand and say hello when I did see him. So uh, that that's the beauty of being a uh, one of Hump's kids, I guess. I guess one of Humphrey's kids. So, <clears throat> all right, well, fellas, that's going to do it for this first edition of the ONG Strike Zone. Um, you'll see on the screen our social media information. If you want to reach out to us, let us know your thoughts on this show and upcoming shows. We'll keep you informed. Make sure to share, like, and subscribe uh, to the ONG Strike Zone wherever you are watching and listening to shows. And uh, that way you'll stay abreast as our next show. Uh, we've got more to talk about. Plenty to plenty to chat on as we get ready for this new season of athletics. And we'll have more segments, more conversations. Try not to get ourselves in trouble already. And uh, we'll kind of go from there. Uh, any final thoughts, Kelvin, before we sign off? Just want to say again, thank you for the opportunity. This experience for me, I enjoy, and I hope that uh, Rally Nation embraces as we uh, move forward. Well said, Kofi. Final thoughts. And let's go, Rattlers, man. Let's get ready for this fall and this Orange Blossom Classic in Miami. God bless you. Well said. So for Kofi Hemingway, Kelvin Rosier, I'm Brian Fulford. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Share, like, and subscribe. Let us know what you think. And we'll be back for another episode of the ONG Strike Zone on the Black College Sports Network, Pod Network. Peace out. Clouds gather on the horizon when thunder and lightning pierce the sky with taste for the glance in the eye of a fallen rattler and hope a lost twin when the city of the chest grows